Welcome back to All the Things with Luke Tim, the podcast that talks about all the things. And that's, well, that's really what I want this podcast to be about. Uh, People ask me why I'm doing this, and I said, you know, I have so many conversations with interesting people, and I almost always finish that conversation thinking, I wish more people could have heard that. Um, There's so many interesting people with interesting takes on life that I know I want everybody um, to have an opportunity to hear these things. I think it's just valuable. So whether you like it or not, um, I do appreciate you tuning in, even if you're listening just because you don't like it or don't like me. Good. That's that's awesome. Um, But if you would, if you do like it, please go to iTunes or Stitcher, uh, rate it, like it, and subscribe to it. Um, I'd love to get this out to more people just so that I can justify spending my Friday mornings talking for two hours with interesting people. So today's no different. I have a good buddy of mine on the podcast, Doug Mitchell. I've known him since I moved to Iowa, which is about nine years now. And the moment I met him, I knew his brain was different from mine. Uh, He's just wired differently. He's got an extra gear um, and he sees the world differently. He sees opportunities where other people don't. Uh, he synthesizes information in an interesting way. He's just, he's a great guy to talk to. So we start with um, AI. We start with uh, voice recognition software that he's working on. We talk about uh, politics for a while. We talk about discipleship. We talk about so many different things in this podcast. Um, but that's just kind of, if you know Doug, that's what you know. Uh, he knows a lot about a lot of different things, and man, does he have some great insights. So I hope you do enjoy. Without further ado, my good friend, Doug Mitchell. today man i'm doing fantastic uh it's a nice beautiful day outside except for that it smells like a butthole (laughs) (laughs) we have both validated that it does indeed smell like an orifice it is gross i don't know what they've put on the fields but it it certainly is something on the fields that that is something i can i concur because i hope it, it does this a couple of times a year in iowa and uh you know it's usually you smell it, but it's very manure-y smell. This is weird. This is like a strange, odd mm-hmm. funkiness, and I don't know exactly. But it makes me excited to eat whatever they're planting. Oh, God. <laughs> right? oh, no. Please. <laughs> yeah, just think. In X number of months, what you smell right now will be delicious. <laughs> Let's hope so. <laughs> oh, that's. I hadn't looked at it this way. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That indeed makes me nervous because, you know, it, it's um, – we spray and we – and I'm not one of these guys who's, you know, all GMO um, or anti-GMO, all organic stuff. But it does weird me out because we spray a lot of funky stuff on the food that we eat. Mm-hmm. And uh, at some point, I got to imagine that's not good for me. But yeah, I suppose, you know, I mean we're pretty adaptable. Yeah. I don't – I really don't – I'm not smart enough to know the science, except that without GMOs, probably billions of people would starve to death, and and so that's about that's about the one statistic that I think most many people would probably identify with and be okay with. That if we didn't have that, um, it would mean death. 
Right. At a scale that is incomprehensible, at least from what I've read. If at, not, that's, hey, you know, show me. Yeah, well, that's my understanding too. I don't, I don't think that um, our current farming practices are ideal, but they're better than not having food. Yeah, look, look at me <laughs> commenting on farming practices. <laughs> right, I am so non-farmer. It's funny. oh, but it's totally your expertise, right? <clears throat> mm-hmm. <laughs> Why mm-hmm. not? I'm an agronomist. Yeah, what do you do now? I work at Wells Fargo. I'm uh, I work on a speech analytics team. No yeah. way. Yeah, so we have this. There's really there's there's cool software that's been out there for a very long time that, uh, especially in call centers, analyzes uh, the voice conversation, transcribes it, but it also breaks it apart into the basic forty some odd sounds of let's say the English language, and and these sounds are not like just syllables; they're called phonemes, and so it breaks it apart and then it reconstructs it and it says by definition we train it, you know. Go look for calls that had high empathy, for example, and then put those in a bucket over here that a manager or supervisor can utilize to coach, train, and develop. You know, you can imagine, yes, it sounds somewhat, oh, isn't it sort of big brother? You're trying to find that instance where (laughs) Joey said, hey, you customer, I hate you, or something like that. It's not about that. Um, It can be used that way, of course, but it's not about that. So my team is the one that goes out and understands this is the internal customer. I I work within Wells Fargo, okay, not outside, within Wells Fargo to different groups to show them um, to design the solution and then deploy it and train it. And So this is for training for other Wells Fargo employees? Yeah, yeah, it's for call centers, you know. And again, it's not new technology. It's been around a long time. But, uh, you know, this gives people the ability to, to manage performance far more effectively because they're just imagining they can listen to calls. That's been, you know, like, hey, this call may be monitored and recorded. Right. OK, we know that. But if you don't, if you want to listen to a 45 minute call, that's a big investment. Imagine if you have tens of thousands of agents talking on the phone. All right. So uh, this gives you a chance to actually say, uh, let me find the keyword. um, uh, the keyword combination that says I can understand the way you feel or something like that. Right. And I find that right there. So in two seconds I pull up the call and I can go right to that phrase. So I can see where you were, you had deep empathy with your customer or something to that effect. Right, right there in seconds, not after listening to 45 minutes worth of conversation. So, so you're telling me <laughs> that the mm-hmm. software can tell when my voice is empathetic. Um, it, it actually, so you've taken it to a different level. You've gone beyond the words that were said and you've gone into emotion. The short answer to that is yes, the software can do that as well. The current version that we're on doesn't do that so well. We're about to move into the version that does it is emotional gauge or detector. And it does that through various things. It can do it by volume spikes, by silence, it can understand like outbursts, you know, and you go, this is incredible. I don't believe this. No, you know, it can understand that it can understand far more subtle things about emotional detection. But the empathy that I'm talking about is based on words and phrases uh, within a conversation okay. that are predefined by our team on okay. behalf of the customer. So we would say what 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 defines empathy for you? Here's a set of things that we think right. are empathy. The sort of phrase and sort of words that that convey that feeling. Mm-hmm. But you're so you're close to being able to do the um, analyze the. Oh, yeah, it can be done. It can be done. We're just a version, big version behind, yeah. which we'll have in 
by the end of the year completely across the organization, but we're in the process of converting everybody to that. Yeah. Does that scare the shit out of you? <laughs> no. no. No, there's far more scary things to worry about, my friend. This is this is technology that's been around for a very long time and it's just um it's just that we're really utilizing it in a different we actually are right. utilizing it in a way that's not very common. We're using it for performance and coaching management. A lot of companies use it purely for reporting on risk. Give me a report that shows the five or whatever number of calls came in this bucket called dissatisfaction. And I want to go check those. Right. And I want to go listen and I want to do a QA check. So there's that too at some level. Yeah. But we're really – we have a focus on – uh, the organizations that we've worked with have a, had a focus on coaching and performance management. With right. it. so it's not as <laughs> the big brother talk. I have it whenever, <laughs> whenever I go into deploy and talk to everybody, I say, let's just get some things right out of the way. Let's look at the top five, you know, and and they they I just go through the list, and the big brother thing is one. Do you think? Do you think who do you think in the organization has time to sit around and listen to hour after hour of all of your phone calls to find some potential thing that went wrong? Yeah. You know, it doesn't we don't. Right. We don't. And so anyway. So what I always hear is is the fear of this application of it becoming AI. And I can already make that connection with the software you're talking about um, with some sort of artificial intelligence being able to not only um, recreate their own language mm-hmm. uh, with that feeling and empathy, but what if what if the machine gets so much better at reading my emotions than regular humans, mm-hmm. and it gets close to like mind reading? Um, that's this is all stuff that is already there in so many different ways that just <laughs> that is just too expensive to deploy on a mass scale. Yeah, you know, I read there's um. I don't know how you – know, I'm not a scientist. That will become very obvious through this conversation. <laughs> but actually uh, I've read that you can detect what you call microaggression from the, your eyes. So if you have a HD enough camera, you yeah, know, right. HD enough that I can read slight dilations that indicate you're going to – or you're thinking something. So you want to talk about uh, – was the Tom Cruise movie? I can't think of it right now, of course, because I'm on the spot. But the the one where – The pre-crimes. Pre-crimes, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> pre-crimes division. Minority Report. Minority Report. Yep. You know? So I could tell you were going to do something. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to arrest you because you had that aggression and you were about to do it or you could have done it. And so that is very – that is a possibility. And and so think about it. If I'm on the phone with you and I'm having a conversation about some customer service situation that you have and you're talking and you're talking, well, what if what if the big bot in the sky goes out and says, um, I'm going to go find everything that Luke does on Facebook, everything he likes, everything, all of his interests, all the stuff that the campaigns <clears throat> utilize right. about us. And then it prompts the person on the other end through this AI engine to say, oh, hey, well, what about the, what's your football team? I have no idea. Vikings. What about the Vikings? Did you see that game? You know, and now I can build some rapport with you potentially mm-hmm. or you know, hey, man, uh, they wouldn't bring this one up. But, hey, look at those guns. Let's go. You know, do, do, what, what new guns have you purchased lately? That's not going to come up. But, uh, 
Um, anyway, all of that can be done and it can prompt, you know, it doesn't happen again in, in our world now, but it happens, trust me, out there. Yeah. And so if you take it, you can take it to its logical end where if you turn an AI or machine learning on loose on every transaction, every phone call, just imagine every phone call, every right. hour of it analyzed to determine some course of action or courses of action. It would be smarter than us in a lot, a large percentage of the time. Right. My my kind of worry. I'm I'm not a guy who who believes that um, people who are terrified of AI. I think Elon Musk is terrified of AI mm-hmm. and a couple other guys. I don't. Th- we're never going to get to a point where I, from what I've read and my just kind of personal belief, I don't think that the machines get sentient in a way mm-hmm. that um, their their actual artificial intelligence. I'm not worried about that. I just our brains don't work like that. There's this common misconception that our brain is is really similar to a computer, right? That there's a mm-hmm. hard drive that stores memory, there's a processor that processes it. Um, that language is useful to kind of understand how the brain works, but the more I've read about it, it's um, the the way in which the the blob, the gray mass works, the that it connects thoughts and ideas is not um, it, it just isn't a binary thing. It, it isn't mm-hmm. ones and zeros being processed. Mm-hmm. So I'm not worried about that. What I'm worried about is getting to the point where I can't trust or believe anything mm. because what if it gets so good, if, if there's always a camera on me and there's always something analyzing my voice, if I say something and it and the machine picks up real quick, mm-hmm. okay, he's in a place where he feels this and can in a nanosecond adjust the message it's delivering me, I mean, how, how am I going to avoid being sold on everything? You can't. That That is, if if not already, <laughs> I know there's the facial recognition software is that good. So you're walking down the street and the billboard changes specifically to target you, things like that. Or, or right. you know, I mean, that part of it is, I think, the most real. And, and I think if you talk to somebody in the industry, um, this is years ago now. I had a peripheral conversation with somebody after they had gone into a meeting with an ad, a big agency, yeah. okay, a big agency with the kind of resources to do the kind of thing you just described. And they were, they had already said, if you knew how much we manipulated you, you would be already be scared. And so you're, you're right. That yeah. difference is not that far. We just don't get exposure to it again because of the scale. Um, the scale of it costs enough that us wa- what through the high V, you know, well, that's right. basically where I go to the supermarket. <laughs> so, you know, I don't go many other places. They don't have the technology in place to do it, but they will in bigger cities. Right. I mean, think about Britain and all the cameras. Right. They can do things probably that we don't even want to know about just from from that. And if you turn it into a commercial yeah. enterprise. Mm, it's good stuff. I mean, honestly, it's like, good to be the king. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whoever gets a hold of it and uses it um, best first wins, <clears throat> because it. I mean, you get to the point where I'd, I'd be sitting around going, "Do I want this?" Or, or you know, it, I mm-hmm. feel strongly about this. Why? You know, is it because mm-hmm. I've been sold so professionally and and so well on this thing that I feel this? But it's not really my feeling. It is just been so tailored to yeah. me emotionally that I'm in. Mm-hmm. That that gets me nervous about everything. But but probably um, 
the scariest piece is not commercial stuff. I mean, at some mm-hmm. point you're limited by your own budget and all that kind of stuff. It's it's politics, mm-hmm. which I know is one of your oh, yeah, favorite that's things. A, that's a fun topic. <laughs> that's a fun topic. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm with you on that. If if we're if we're so manipulated, and if you don't have a foundation of being able to sort through that, that's mm-hmm. the that's the the big wild card, you know, what is your, if you have no foundational ultimate beliefs, this is probably a bigger part of a bigger question, but then all of a sudden you're just tossed around by the nose by all of these things. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing, yeah. 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 yeah so you yeah. sent me a link to a website you put up and, um, I combed through it pretty interesting. It's, it's about politics. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Essentially, what I gather is a methodology to remove corruption and try and manage Mm -hmm. the money in politics. So where did that come from? Yeah. So, you know, it's called opensourcecampaign.org and it's a work in progress for sure. It started a long, long time ago when I actually considered a run for a political seat uh, either a state legislature, probably a state legislature seat or something like that. Yeah. Maybe Senate, a couple of these uh, seats came open every once in a while. And so it would, it would enter my brain. I had known people who had run, I'd helped on campaigns. I said, I can do this, but I can do it without cash. So the original concept for this was 10 years ago. And I thought I called it the cashless campaign. Could it be done? Could you run a campaign without cash? Could you not be holding to anybody? Could you do it that way and make it work? I'd never answered that question for myself. I just let it stew. And over the last 10 years, the political climate has just gotten, of course, um, you know, that much more swampy. And so um, I'm I'm taking a walk with my good friend, Mike Wagner, and he brings up a, a, a relative of his who said, you know, he's just sick and tired of politics. He's just retired and he's considering a run for office. And he said, I, and, and Mike Wagner dropped my cashless campaign idea on him. And he just about, you know, fell out of his chair about how great that would be. And I, and, and so when that message made it back to me, I said, maybe it is time. So I went home and bought the domain name, a different one, which is the open source campaign.org. It was originally cashlesscampaign.com. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> uh, and I started typing out ideas and the ideas were, let me see if I could actually make this work. Let me see if I could come up with some, you know, key points or a manifesto, if you will, yeah. of, uh, of ways this could work and, and guide people sp- specifically with instructions on how to do things. And, yeah. and so I've run into some roadblocks we can talk through those about what, you know, what definitely will work and what definitely is a challenge. But, uh, yeah, it's a possibility, I think. What is a cashless campaign? I mean, it, it obviously you have to spend some money. I mean, even yeah. just having a website costs some yeah. cash. Yeah, so the way I've accounted for that so far is that um, you would be paying for everything on your own that costs money in the campaign. So granted, if, uh, if we're talking about a higher level seat and you, you, you know, it may just cost more to run a campaign. I'm not talking about, let's, let's take away ads. Let's take away signage. Let's take away, let's, let's core basics. Mm-hmm. I have to buy a domain name. I have to get a website up. I have to put time into it, et cetera. I have to manage social things. I do all of those things. Um, and somehow there has to be some money. The idea is if I take money from you, even to set up, you know, set up the website for free, 
the idea is that somehow I have to answer to you now. Mm-hmm. Somehow I'm beholden to you because this money has exchanged or at least this in-kind relationship. Has, right. I'm trying to avoid all of that. Is it possible to avoid all of that? It's really difficult from what I've been, you know, and everybody I talk to, the scenarios you run through, mm-hmm. you could find a hundred different ways. Well, what about the gas to drive all over? What about right, this right, and that? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it costs it costs money, but and the way I've accounted for that is that you need to pay for that yourself, so that you could never be charged with the crime of of being beholden to a special interest. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not sure that, um, especially on a more local level, that people understand or even recognize um, and comprehend that they are influenced. So mm-hmm. if if I'm running for an office and somebody says, "Oh, you know, here's a hundred thousand um, dollars because I believe in what you're doing." We would say that's okay. The guy believes in him. There's, there's no mm-hmm. nefarious. I'll give you $100,000 if. And yet, like now I've just have this little bit of influence that goes, man, that was a big contribution mm-hmm. for this local office. And I want to essentially please or at least stay on the good side mm-hmm. of that person. Get access to you. Yeah, I don't know. All of that kind of stuff. I mean, there's just no way if, if there's money involved – there's always some kind of influence on the person receiving it. You, you can't be in a neutral relationship with somebody if they have contributed money. I mean, you just mm-hmm. can't be. Yeah. So with a, with a cashless campaign, um, just tell me more. How does, how does that work, do you think, on a, uh, like a local scale like ours, running for a state mm-hmm. office or something like that? Yeah, there would be some filing fees, some things like that, some basics that you'd have to take care of. But but after that point, you know, let's if you run down the things that the campaign would would do, you'd you'd organize meetings. I mean, what do campaigns really do? They organize meetings to do fundraising. Right. That's what they do. So instead of that, uh, you would still do that, but you would do it uh, to raise money exclusively for a charity. So that's the, the the spin is that I want you to raise as much money as you possibly can during your campaign, but every cent of it would go to a charity, and you would never touch those dollars. Right. They would they wouldn't be delivered to you, and then you would forward on the money. It would be some kind of link direct to the charity. So right. again, just a little tweak there, uh, and I think it's for the betterment of society because if you multiply this by hundreds and thousands of races around the country, imagine what you could do. Right now. Do you- do you envision that would be something everybody's required to run that way or is it like an option for an individual and it has advantages of some sort? Yeah. So, well, I, I look at it this way. So I called it open source campaign dot org for a reason, because to me, WordPress dot org is one of the most successful it is probably I don't know I'm not I'm not a tech historian the most amazingly successful open source possibility thing creative idea right. that has ever existed. Um, there's an there's a foundation they do take in money uh, to support the development and the correct development of this WordPress platform, but it is effectively still one of the most amazing open source platforms ever, and people build upon it. And so people contribute to that open source code base. So the idea is that people can use these ideas. I hope there's a pure way of doing it. I hope people would adopt it in a pure fashion. But also one of the principles in there is that you have to contribute to the greater cause with your ideas, right? You bring there's, There's thousands of things that are a part of this open source campaign concept that I have no idea about. Right. I will, I can't even fathom that people will figure out 
So as they go along and as they do it um, and as they run without and they get creative and they get resourceful, those mm-hmm. ideas should funnel their way back into this big open source code base. And um, that was air quotes, but you can't see me. <laughs> Code base. <laughs> yeah, I don't have video yet in here. I'm, I'm hoping one day. But That's okay. Yet. I could raise the pinky to the mouth and say it like that. But um, that that's the idea, that they would you know bring those ideas to the table and that they would continue to work to make this open source concept better. Right. So practically – how would you do it in a small race? Uh, you would people would make signs on your behalf. Right. People would say, you know what, um, I'm opting out of making a sign, and I'm taking that twenty dollars and I'm giving it to charity. But I'll somehow post it on I don't know my social media page that I donated to you instead right. of a sign. So there's a bunch of transform transformative things to do to take the money away from the process. And keep it transparent from the candidate and give it to good causes instead of the cause of the political machine. Right. And I'm not I'm not you know, I'm not this massive like money is what's evil with politics, the fire wielding guy. I, I get it, right? You explained it really well. I mean, I may not have a direct influence situation, but I do at some level. And when you get into bigger politics, you get into bigger money and that's yeah. all you do is fundraise and we know this and and the billions spent on presidential campaigns could you do this for a presidential campaign could you possibly right. do this <laughs> I, wow what if right you could and that's so where i'm i'm a, a pretty deep cynical. where do you want to go with this <laughs> bring a, it i'm a cynical guy who um i always the, the problem is that the people who would most likely benefit are the people who are um, less in control and have less and less influence. And the people who are currently holding office and, and all that, they, they don't have a strong motivation to go this route mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they're getting millions of dollars. Totally. <laughs> and they don't have to give that money back if they win or lose, if there's mm-hmm. still money in the war chest. So what the incentive for them to say, you know, I'm going to give all of that up. Yeah, right. <laughs> I agree. That's I agree. It's going to take cleaning, <clears throat> potentially cleaning house. It's going to take potentially a movement that's much larger than you and I could possibly fathom. Right. If this could become, see, the the, the, the challenge is it almost becomes a third party in a, in a way I that you don't want it to be. the same thing. Right? And mm-hmm. so I, I explicitly state things on the site about not, not being a third party. Right. This is... A code base. It's an open right. source process. It's a. It's a. It's an ever evolving chunk and a way to do this differently. And and yeah, I don't think the people in the space are going to just switch. But what if they did? Or what if what if you went up against a oh, that's big hitter yeah. with this message? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where I think it's entirely plausible. And they don't need my operating system, my idea. They don't need that. They can right. do any variety of it. I'm just trying to lay it out and give a chance to uh, anybody who, especially at the grassroots level, who wants to make a difference to to have some idea like I could do this. Right. And, and I just need to get some momentum behind it. I'd like to get some momentum behind it and get some people running under the – Right. Can't to, to point, especially to point out the areas where we need to 
update our thinking. Right. Well, that's where your analogy of WordPress is perfect because you can have a crazy right-wing neo-Nazi WordPress or a left-wing mm-hmm. peace hippie, you know, tree hugging. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. The platform itself is is just the tool, and then you can shape and form it. So that makes sense to me. It's it's that piece where to try and get the people who have the money or are mm-hmm. you know, benefiting profoundly from this whole thing. You have to you have to beat them a couple of times. Oh yeah, that's what it boils down to. Somebody has to somebody's got to be spending a billion dollars and the other person zero dollars, and zero has mm-hmm. to win for other people to say, "Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's exactly thing. right." You know, WordPress was the scariest possible thing for ad agencies and other groups who had built their own content management systems right. who had milked bazillions of dollars from people, not, not milked, I should say commercially separated from the dollars because they were providing value. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, I'm not a communist at all. Right. <clears throat> they had done, they had done their work and right. that's fine. And then here comes a, a, a platform that's, I'm going to say free. Okay. Free. That does a thousand times more, a thousand times better, and it just keeps getting better. And and oh, it's never going to be supported like something that's paid. Oh yeah, right. right. You have a universe supporting it, <laughs> and so it again is the the ultimate example. And then what what did Matt Mullenweg take uh, WordPress, you know, the idea, the concept, and then turn it into a for profit company? He he did this and yeah. created Automatic with two T's. And Automatic is like a billion-dollar company and has 500 people. So he took a platform and then he chose a path to commercialize and build value. Right. That's a, another interesting thing that, again, that's not my intent with this, but it's a it's always a possibility. What if what if open source campaigns sold plugins or tools for WordPress sites or something like right. that? You know, are we all of a sudden part of the problem? If we're commercially selling things like that, or are we still fulfilling our mission? Like like WordPress.org takes in money for that foundation to, to right. keep going. So I, there's unanswered questions for me. I think the secret is being transparent the whole way. So right now there's this page that has an embedded Google spreadsheet that has um, a top line. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Revenue zero. zero. Expense like $21, $21. For, for domain names. And as yeah. long as I keep that transparent, um, <laughs> I think that I'm way ahead of everything else out there political campaign-wise. I think I'm way ahead of the game. Transparency. Yeah. No, I dig it. Um, and I think that's one of the things that's driving people crazy in Washington right now. Um, and that I'm not a conspiracy theorist guy. I just when – you, when you look at the whole Russia investigation and they meddled in our election um, – if, if you work to boil that down to what happened, it's bots on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's. I was talking to a guy when I was in Kenya um, about a year ago, and he was convinced. He goes, you know, so Russia hacked the election. And I said, well, you got to be careful with the, with the word hacked. What do you mean by that? He was, and he's a, is a pretty in-tune Kenyan resident. I mean, he's not U.S., but what he's seeing on the news he was convinced that they hacked into the voting machines mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that votes got switched. I said, no, 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 there's, there's no evidence of that. Mm-hmm. The hacking, um, well, you, you can talk DNC, um, emails, that kind of thing. Right. But they spent a few hundred thousand dollars and did on Facebook. If, if the, the opinion is out there that their influence was enough 
to swing an election for the president of the United States with a few hundred thousand dollars opposed to what did Hillary spend half a billion or something insane? Uh, a lot. Yeah. This is this is a real crisis <laughs> for mm-hmm. people who are trying to raise a half a billion dollars if all of a sudden what if I can swing an election with a few hundred grand? Mhm. So that's it's not the same open source, <clears throat> and you know the whole point of that is is kind of evil. <laughs> so that's, I don't want to I don't want to associate that with your open source dot org. It's okay. <laughs> They're clearly differentiated. Yes, clearly, most definitely. But I think you I think you're right in that we overestimate how much money um, really influences an actual vote. Versus how much it influences the people in office, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I think that there's a huge market for that. If, if and again, we're already to market and talking about <laughs> money and right. It's hard not to because that's our nature. That's right. my nature. I look to monetize a lot of stuff, and, right. I'm, and, I, and I'm thinking, gosh, this could be huge, you know. And then I and I keep coming back to, well, okay, we're forming a, a nonprofit corporation to to do this. We've got some uh, uh, coming up here in August, I think it is. The Drake Law School will be helping us out with that because they do that sometimes. So we're we're trying to keep it like real, you know, low yeah. expense, low key. But uh, as a as a nonprofit, you know, that might be a, a that might that's going to keep us in that realm of, you know. But how and, critically important is it to or I mean, it could be incredibly significant if something develops where for very little actual dollars, like you're saying, out of my own pocket, I can mm-hmm. pay for this. Um, but have a real influence, get a message out, get people mobilized and win elections that flips over this apple cart of people who are very invested and um, mm-hmm. have built lives on the system of raising millions of dollars, have built yep. giant piles of wealth. Mm-hmm. And that that is something that, boy, if it catches and goes, there's going to be a lot of it people could, pissed off at you. Yeah, <laughs> right. It could drain the swamp real quick. Yeah. You know, you want to talk about doing a changeover. You know, you see key people retiring and this and that uh, here and there from from politics. Um, you know, they, they retire and they go have a, a speaking career and they make lots yeah. of money. They, they, they can do that as well in this. We just need to – I wouldn't mind getting rid of, of quite a few of them. Just, yeah. You know, I just wouldn't mind that. I wouldn't mind replacing with people who have uh, raised – uh, you know, uh, a billion dollars to cure cancer or whatever, fill in the blank, right. you know, or, or juvenile diabetes. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine $2 billion going to an organization that spends on research, real research, and not just their infrastructure and their administrative, you know, the good charities that really do that. I can I can see it happening. And yeah. I can see how many people, back to the Obama era of, you know, owning social media how many people were five to twenty dollar donations? I mean, it was mm-hmm. it were it, it was millions. I don't remember the numbers. It was millions, if not, you know, uh, I don't know. It was a lot. Yeah, a lot of people. So, what if those twenty dollar donations went to charity and you raised a half a billion dollars? I mean, I think it's plausible for a large campaign to do this if somebody latches on and takes it and runs with it. I think it's plausible, especially if you have enough. Um, 
personal wealth to run that scale of a campaign because that's my only question mark. I don't know how to take in a single penny without being beholden. If somebody can answer that more effectively, then we'll update our yeah. you know, our manifesto. I, I don't know how to do that just yet. Right. But if you've got the money to to file for yourself at the county office or the federal election right. papers and put up a website and you spend 500 bucks of your own money and show us what you've done. Um, it's a chance to take the issues back uh, and take and give the money to something that makes sense. Right. You know, if I, if I, I, w- I would ride my bike all over and I'd say, here's how many miles I've logged in my campaign visiting people. I'm the environmental candidate. Sure. <laughs> I happen to be probably, you know, the most conservative candidate you'll ever meet. Maybe, I don't know. Um, but guess what? I'm the, I'm the one who hasn't used a shred of paper in his campaign here. Here's an, an exact accounting of everything I've ever done. Yeah. Oh, and we've raised uh, $300,000 for juvenile diabetes. <laughs> what has the other person done? It doesn't matter at that point. Yeah. No matter what that per- – well, I've, he, she's held five fundraisers and raised $100,000 at house parties. Yeah. <laughs> BFD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're done. Yeah. They're done. No, so, I agree. That's, and that is um, – that's the sort of turn I think that the, the country's just about ready for. Um, mm-hmm. I find us really <laughs> sick of all of this. We're so sick of all of the nonsense. And this is – I, I I get myself in trouble a little bit in my family because I've, I've got some um, pretty progressive left Democrat. And, I, and I'm trying to – every time there's something with Trump and, and my brother and I, he's, he's the guy, <laughs> we have a conversation. It sounds like I'm defending Trump by trying to um, compare to, you know, well, Trump is so bad in this. But yeah, remember when Obama – and now – Mm-hmm. Without trying to, because I'm I'm not a fan of either. <laughs> right. Well, right. I, I end up sounding like I'm taking a party line. An apologist. So here's I've actually changed my language to instead of because um, I used to do that with Obama and be like, yeah, but you know, so Obama did this and that's terrible. I'd be like, oh, but remember Bush, <laughs> you know. And, mm-hmm. So I'm actually mm-hmm. moving it, going the other direction. Whatever happens with Trump, I go. Well, you know what? The next person. Whoever, mm-hmm. man, woman, Democrat, Republican, mm-hmm. they're going to do the same thing. How's it different? It's just never but, – but that we don't know who the next person is or what party they're from kind of takes away the it, – it, it's less polarizing. I'm not, I'm not pro-Trump. I'm just saying that right. he's not different from Obama and none of them are going to be different yeah. from the next person or the next person or the next person because we've built this system where um, it rewards – uh, our system rewards greedy, corrupt people. Yeah, absolutely. That's the game. So if you're better at being greedy and corrupt, you're going to win. That's absolutely right. <laughs> I mean, it's not sick and wrong, but it's it's true. And so <clears throat> I, I think you're you're right. I think most people these days are at that point where they're saying it's all the same. Yeah, they're they're all the same. And if you ever want to, oh man, this is the greatest because I I had a captive audience on a way to a soccer tournament with Gavin, my son, who's now <laughs> fifteen and a half, and I put on this uh, frontline special on the making of Hillary and Donald, mm-hmm. and it's basically a very it's a very long frontline podcast episode. Well, of course, it's a TV show as well, but I listened to the pod, and it's um, how they both came up. 
Yeah. And their stories. And <clears throat> but by the time you're done, you're convinced, which you should be, that they're basically the same person. They're the same person. They're the same, they have slightly different, you know, approaches. They yeah. have slightly different ideas on politically and what have you. But they really are the same power hungry, uh, other bad words that would do anything to yeah. keep it and anything to get more of it. Yeah. And so you get what you get. Yeah. So so somehow Trump squeaked out a victory uh, with with whatever means. Um, he, he wins things. Yeah. And he did. And so here we are. <laughs> and everyone's like, this is impossible. He'll win by a landslide the second term. I, I, I am convinced there will be a landslide second term. <clears throat> and so what are we going to do the next time around? It's going to be the it's same the race thing. to the bottom. Yeah. Until, until we finally wake up if we ever do, yeah. you know, and so, so the have, AI bot chooses the president for us, <laughs> but why do we need one at that point? It can right. run everything. Skynet. I had the, uh, the most, um, unscientific way to predict the election. Um, and I, it was correct. It was, was the scary thing. So, um, I go deer hunting Northern Minnesota mm-hmm. every year in November. Um, so the election was going to happen while deer hunting, like a week into it. So driving up from Des Moines to north of Grand Rapids, I kept count, uh, just a tally. I, I wrote it down, Trump signs versus mm. Hillary signs. Mm-hmm. That was it. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. um, Trump won. I, I got and – I, and I was actually Facebooking it and, and people are laughing, thinking it's hilarious. And so by the time I, I pulled in, I said, well, it's official. Trump will win. And son of a bitch. Well, you were right. <laughs> you were right. But I, I say that to uh, to kind of illustrate. Um, I I have become convinced that there's two Americas. There is the America that is um, most of us 300 million people, and then and I don't even separate it in terms of um, wealth, race, religion, creed. I I separate the the next level is the America that runs everything. Mm-hmm. Um, in politics and such. And their only job is to occasionally convince us that they're actually, that they actually have our interest in mind Mm -hmm. just to win an election. But none of them do. I mean, at at a certain level, you get to a point where a politician's whole job is um, self-serving, even if it is to serve others so they can stay in office. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I have this theory, and, and I don't know um, if I've, I'm, I'm willing to say at this point that I'm wrong, but I, it's got to be pretty close to me being wrong. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that the, the methodology of the thinking behind it still serves right. I thought for sure Trump was going to uh, resign within hmm. the first two years because um, what I always told people when we had this conversation, I said there's no money in being president. But there's a ton of money in having been mm. president. <laughs> this is true. This is true. So, I mean, imagine if, if he resigned today and um, then started making deals and, and, you know, working with other partners and companies and saying, yeah, yeah you know, um, if, if you need if you need some help from the Department of the, of the State, I, I know yeah. the guy. I, right. <laughs> I can make this deal happen. <laughs> the yeah. art of the deal and, and what role would he have as an ex-president, you know? He oh, might, he's going to make bank. And so maybe after four years he decides not to run again, but maybe the power is too great. I'm sure the power that he has now is too great. Oh, he's barely sure. getting into things, I think. Right. That he, 
you know, the idea that a that a president is slapping tariffs on stuff like this is something I have only read about in history books. Right. <laughs> and it was a long time ago. Yeah, right. I mean, I'm sure there have been some in the meantime, but you get what my point is that we're we're actually like entering trade wars with tariffs and this goes against every free market economy kind of idea that you have and yet he's doing it and yet and they're sending troops uh national guard troops to the border to right. to enforce laws that have been there and just aren't enforced and what right. have you and again big topic uh, build a wall send troops wow you know what here's the deal he's going to be viewed as somebody who got things who could get things done who could actually right. make the machine move and if he has a hundred battles and he loses fifty of them, those fifty that he did win will be all we talk about. And he knows this, and right? probably more than most presidents. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's getting that's, that's why another thing is he's getting a ton of things done. Now you might not like right or the wrong, things. <laughs> right or wrong, things are happening. Right, and I'm not a fan of most of them, but they're mm-hmm. yeah, I. Kind of circling back to this idea of um, that that slice of America that that runs mm-hmm. the rest of America, that tiny little sliver, everything from you know examples of of Dick Cheney in a position where we go in and level a place, and then we need somebody to go and rebuild that. Well, Dick Cheney goes, My I buddies. you know I've I got some people. Mm-hmm. That's that's what that. That's one example of the way the entire piece of the pie works at that level. It's mm-hmm. not really about the rest of America. It's about themselves. Mm-hmm. And they do such a good job of convincing the rest of us that we need to be passionate about it because it really matters for us. And it doesn't. It mm-hmm. only really – I was just talking to a guy yesterday. Um, he's, uh, he's homebound. He's actually in a nursing home. All he can do is sit around and watch CNN and, oh, and MSN. Okay. And, but he's a brilliant guy, um, has always been a, a sharp cookie. And we're having this conversation, all of these things, and we're actually watching Pompeo be grilled and, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I go, you know what? The weird thing is I can't really explain how my life, and I'm a pretty average guy, how it's any different. Mm-hmm. So all of this craziness, and I and I get it. Like if you're in the National Guard and you're headed to the border, right, makes a big difference to your life, right. But the vast majority of Americans, my day to day life, mm-hmm. the biggest impact is going to be what I pay in taxes. That's right. So That's right. why am I so worked up? Why are we watching CNN 24 hours a day? Why are we so not sure invested in if this porn star and Donald Trump did actually hook up and mm-hmm. payments? It doesn't really matter to me. No, and it doesn't matter enough. The news cycle is too fast anyway to to make that stuff matter. You know, those are all just quick hits. Yeah, they're all just quick hits. The the Russian thing has had the most legs, oh. and 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 you know you still you still find that what is the smoking gun like show me the smoking gun that means that Donald Trump is going to be removed from office nothing so okay. so again right yeah you're right you're right we're all just we're we're, we're part of this machine the, the challenge though is that there's this beholden i mean which sliver of the people are you talking about that are beholden because they're they pay nothing in taxes right the over 50 whatever percent i don't even know what it is these days we'll find out again soon right um who pay nothing who who get from quote the government far more 
then then pay in right um and when they get from the government meaning get from all of us that's the right. way it works if anybody needs a refresher there is no government money <laughs> <clears throat> it's our money and and that's okay but uh anyway so what's that sliver there do they vote if they vote they vote to keep what their life the same and yeah. i don't know i i mean that's where it gets Absolutely crazy for me. Well, and, and we've been convinced that the the crumbs that we fight over, we have been convinced that that it is uh, you know a, a ten course meal, and we're because if, if if you really think about um, whatever your position on um, government assistance, you know I, I read somebody somewhere. I wish I could remember this quote. It was um, when government gives to poor people, they call it handouts. Mm-hmm. When it gives to rich people, they call it tax incentives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but regardless of, of your opinion on that, it's crumbs. Cause I mean, the amount that the government collects from us and then you go, well, why, why is that guy getting, you know, $50 a month in food stamps? But, but if, if we still were taxed at the same level, but got rid of all of the waste and corruption, we could give that guy $10,000. Not that we should, but... National income. Yeah, we're fighting over the crumbs as if they've convinced us this is the most important thing. Yeah. Oh, it drives me insane. There's so much. There's so much to the equation, and this is what this is the the part that is. I, I don't watch this political stuff anymore. I just can't because yeah. it's this constant bickering over those little crumbs and those little stories. When the, it's so much bigger, yeah, it's so much bigger. Now I have a much better solution than yours. Um, in every in every aspect other than it's not at all feasible. So. <laughs> and possibly highly illegal and treasonous. <laughs> yeah, I mean some of that. Um, yeah, yours yours could actually work. Mine mine doesn't, but it's a great it's a great way, I think it's a little thought exercise. I think we ought to um, violate everything that that makes us American. And at the level of federal government, so beyond the state, we just impose a law that says your net worth will never be more than $4 million. Hmm. So if you want to be a congressperson, cool. You're never going to be worth more than $4 million. So if you, if you write a book and it sells hundreds of thousands of copies and brings in $10 million, you don't keep it. It's not your money. If yeah. you decide that um, after you know you you're at that place of four million dollars, you retire and a bank says, "Come give us speech. We'll pay you a million. Mm-hmm. You can go give that speech, but you don't get a million dollars." So, so where did you where did you <laughs> veer off and? First of all, decide that $4 million was this cap. And second of all, become like this super communist of viewpoint. Where did you go? I, know, I mean, I just I like, I just, did you just transport <laughs> well, it's, into a, a new body or something? So $4 million is entirely arbitrary. Okay, okay. Um, I just picking a number. I was, I was thinking to myself, what is a, a number that I would be stupid happy at, um, but not so stupid that I could buy an island. Mm-hmm. And four million dollars makes me feel like I there's not a lot I couldn't do, mm-hmm. um, other than the really egregious dumb stuff. Mm-hmm. So, and it's here's the thing: it's it's communist only for 
the certain slice, like I've said, that mm-hmm. little slice that runs America, mm. and it's only um, for for that specific position. So it's not okay. – if you're a CEO of Apple, okay. I don't care what you're worth. I'm talking just public office. If you're, if you're going to hold a public mm-hmm. office – so what I think here's, – here's why I think this works, um, again, just like communism on paper. <laughs> works great. <laughs> Each according to his yeah. – wait a minute. I've read this before. That's why I prefaced this with mine's not feasible at mm. all. Okay. But okay. imagine the system where – um, you've got a guy like Donald Trump, very wealthy guy, or meet the Clintons, all of them, very wealthy people, and say, okay, you want to be president, you have to give away everything. Mm-hmm. We don't get Donald Trump because mm-hmm. he's about money. So when, when you remove that incentive out of it, you eliminate people who are overly focused on mm-hmm. being wealthy. Mm-hmm. And then you get people like, you know, college grad student in poli sci who's you know a hundred thousand dollars in debt we're focused on being poor yeah (laughs) but this guy he might he might actually have some good ideas Mm. but they're not profitable you know or somebody who's um really genuinely benevolent and um maybe has made a good amount of money as a business person and says you know what i I know I've got tens of millions of dollars, but I don't need it. I'll give it away and I'll, I'll go serve my country and four million is enough. Hmm. So you, you start to get better people, maybe smarter people, but certainly not people who are um, self-serving and, and trying to serve their yeah. own interests. Yeah. Well, I'm willing to give anything a try at this point. <laughs> so if, if it takes a little slice of communism in there, in, the middle to, in that just, tier of, of people, um, I'm willing to give it a try. Yeah, I but, don't see why not. But it'd be interesting for that for that person. Then the rest of their they know I, I can serve, you know my my term, um, or I can do eight years, mm-hmm. and I, I don't have to worry about trying to please these people or be beholden to these people because when I get out, I'm going to get this giant payday. They can actually make tough decisions, piss all the wrong people off if mm-hmm. it's the right thing to mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. And we, we are also, by the way, ensuring that no matter what, they'll be worth $4 million. So that that's the other side of that is mm-hmm. um, you don't have to worry about doing the right thing that's super not popular and is going to get you no money because the federal government also then says the rest of your life, you'll be worth $4 million. Mm. (laughs) And so, so who will be the enforcement agency? (laughs) 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 Okay. Okay. Uh So it's not only communism, it's also socialism Uh on the other side Uh because that person – if they don't do another damn thing the rest of their life, they're going to be worth $4 million. Mm. I think we have alternative <laughs> viewpoints on how to get there. <laughs> I mean, you know, again, like I'm worth the, I'm worth, I'd like to take an experiment and do it. So I, I, yeah. it can't, you know, you say it can't get much worse than it is. I, I, I really believe we're at some, we are at some critical mass of, of the swamp. I, I'd love to see. I'd love to see innovation, uh, yeah. and not just 
how good we are at data mining to win, although right. I don't think that's unfair. I think that's very capitalist and very okay at some, right. you know, as long as we do it within the confines of, of the le that we agree <laughs> upon, the le. Um, you know, so yeah. I'd, I'd be willing to try. Well, that's, that's my, that's my uh, nut job. Because, again, the reason not feasible is the people who would have to put that into law are the ones right now who are like four million. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. mm-hmm. I lose that <laughs> in exactly. my couch cushions. So exactly. that, that law ain't gonna exactly. happen. Exactly. Oh, sorry, Buffy. Have you seen that one million dollar bill I just slipped out of my pocket <laughs> in the couch? No, yeah. it's not that. Yes. So, but here's here's the the other one that I think is actually potentially feasible. Um, I've always thought one of the one of our biggest issues is. So we're raising all of this money for all of this advertising, for all of this campaigning. What if we just regulated the shit out mm. of campaigning? Mm-hmm. And um, like in Great Britain, you can't – there is no campaigning I think more than – it's like 13 weeks before the election. Right, right. There's a finite period. Yeah. You can't you, you can't advertise. You, I mean, there's a ton of stuff you can't do. Mm-hmm. So um, I had this other idea of, of what if – Kind of to your point of the the open source, what if we regulated the way in which everybody has to have a certain format? This is how you campaign. You can have this many commercials. Mm-hmm. Um, I've even thought that we, we get rid of the debates because I've always thought political debates are dumb because we're not electing a debater in chief. Right. We're not electing a master debater. Right. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for sneaking that in. This is a highbrow pod. <laughs> classy. Classy. Stay classy, San Diego. But, uh, you know, so what if what if it was um, – and, and then I've always thought to vote, what if we regulated how you vote? And I, and I know that gets mm. – that starts to get mm. people nervous too. But you have to vote online mm-hmm. and you have to – Go to a website, and what it does is, you know, candidate A gets a three-minute video, and then candidate B gets a three-minute video, and then candidate A gets to respond to candidate B, and candidate uh-huh. B gets to respond to candidate A, mm-hmm. and you have to watch them all, and then vote. And in that instant, you get to dissect all of their ideas and their concepts. And their- well, I think. I think that we would end up with more informed voters. Oh, true. Well, yeah. Yeah, I can see your point. I can see your point. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm not worried about your vote. I'm not worried about you being informed. But I'm worried about mm-hmm. some of those people who are like, I vote Democrat or I vote Republican. Mm. The people who are bust in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Well, maybe. And, you know, I always think it's interesting, too, that we trust, you know, we don't trust – well, for various reasons, I suppose we don't trust like two fifty six bit military grade encryption to do voting. Yeah. We do trust pieces of paper and people, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know it's just like restaurant. Yeah, I don't give them my card. Okay, I don't want to shop online. Okay, all right, then just you know we're done at this point because <laughs> we can't have this conversation. I mean, yeah, the voting process could use an overhaul too. I just think we are so. I mean, we are so America in in so many different ways yeah. that we're not willing to look at some of that. Yeah, I like the way they do it in the in the Middle East. Where you got to dip your thumb in the mm-hmm. ink. Mm-hmm. I think we should do and that. You just kind of yeah, show it off when you. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I think that's pretty cool too. 
Let's do it. <laughs> right. Let's do it. Wow. What a little rabbit hole we went on. Mm. <laughs> that was fun. It could have been hours. <laughs> so we've got it figured out. We know exactly how to solve all of the, the problems of politics. Mm. <laughs> it's good to know. Yeah. I think we're right around the corner from that. <laughs> right. So visit the website and then um, there's no way to donate money at this point. So yeah. think, think, save it up. <laughs> Put it away. For when there is, and then right we'll uh, yeah. Yeah, support the cause. Yeah, I wanted to ask you also about um, the. We talked about this a little bit before the the. You had a podcast for a while, um, Crockpot Christianity. Yeah, Are you still doing that? No, haven't. Um, same same thing. Life and and busy things get in the way, and the next thing you know, it's been weeks and months and what have you. Yeah. yeah, I did that with for for a while with my good friend Mike Wagner who I mentioned earlier. He's a rock star by the He's way. He's pretty amazing. He's pretty amazing. And so, yeah, we um that that podcast evolved out of well, gosh, I mean, how far back do you want to go? But at the end of the day, like I like I've talked to you about perhaps uh, throughout the years and and that's the name that's why it was called Crockpot. Um for, for me, Christianity has never been about a lightning bolt. Never, I, I kind of wish it would have been at some point. Right. You know, oh man, I am saved. Here you go. Look at me. I'm on fire. No, um, it's, it was a slow boil, yeah. and, and and it had intentional ingredients put into it. And so, Mike Wagner was, uh, and you along the way uh, were essential to that recipe. Yeah. To to then finally reaching you know serving temperature <laughs> and we did it for a while we did it for a while and just it just dropped off I would like we we keep talking that we'd like to continue it's just you know the stage of life uh, is hard to overcome yeah. the momentum right now I cannot I haven't made the time to do it right well we've always been that guy with nine irons in the fire and yeah and always a, a new thing about to happen and yeah I love that about you it's exciting and you I. Your life terrifies me. <laughs> I terrify myself. <laughs> you know, I've always just had this – being a pastor is like the most stable career you can get. I mean it is the routine and the discipline. It's every Sunday. You know, I mean mm-hmm. I, I know mm-hmm. here's my schedule every week. Yeah. Um, but man, you've been all over in, in different careers, different jobs. And yeah. what, where do you find that level of stability with all of that kind of – craziness oh, gosh i mean they're they're the few constants are you know the family is the same yeah and they they put up with me and they deal with me and they kind of like my ideas every once in a while too so they right. they'll listen to me and then uh uh appease me um <laughs> but yeah the uh i just i'm i'm constantly thinking of something new to do um and the challenge that I have again with my whole operating model of myself is that after a while, after I figure out what I think to be the formula, I don't necessarily want to be the one to execute it all the time, and I want to move on to the next idea. So I've thought through enough of you know right. introspection, enough introspection to find that out about myself. So I have to find myself in situations where I'm constantly challenged by something new. Or I will get bored enough that I start to, you know, either cook up five new projects or uh, in some cases I have left jobs because of of that. And I don't particularly want to be a job bouncer or job hopper. Um, in my current spot, there there's enough change, and the change is encouraged that um, you know you can actually get a new role within the organization every year right. if you want to, and they have to support that. Yeah. So no matter what you find yourself in, 
you can always find something new. I just have this challenge that I'm constantly thinking of something else to do outside of work as well. Right. I've always seen you as a, a ship builder and not necessarily excited about captaining that ship and, and sailing it, but mm-hmm. gosh, it's it's so much fun. I, I love watching <laughs> you create and think and design and, and all of this, but yeah, that's, that's why I said it terrifies me because the, the chaos of it as far as... Um, I mean, you just don't know. You don't know. I've, I'm convinced you don't know what's next. <laughs> right. I think you're right. I mean, the, the coolest thing is if you if you keep, I think, if you keep opening yourself to these new experiences and keep talking about these ideas, however crazy they are, um, or or far fetched, or or however cool they might be, but no one's, you know, they're they're however many people are going to listen to this and go, oh, that's interesting, but maybe they talk to somebody else, and they talk to somebody else, and and who knows, right? There's the, this is the joy that I have out of it is somebody calls up or somebody shoots off an email and says, Hey, tell me more about that. You know, that's exciting right. to me. Um, but yeah, I like, I, I, with open source, for example, open source campaign.org. When I, when I finally had that spark, I spent literally, I spent from probably woke up about two in the morning these days, not by choice, just did mm-hmm. sat there and cranked from two until eight in the morning, uh, you know, um, on all, and then the weekend spent all weekend and I get myself excited about building the tools again, building the website, yeah. connecting it up to the lists, doing the email marketing, the whole nine yards, right? Uh-huh. Just, just, it's so exciting. And then I have this thing, and now what to do with it, right? And then that's where the hard work comes in. The hard work comes in then. And that's where I have to really focus to be able to get some stuff done because that's where yeah. I, I've, I've built it. Right. I had the idea. Now what? Right. See, and that's – you're – I love you. You're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you're backwards. You that's said good. that the hard work is, is – um, you know, all the hard work then is to, to run the thing. I, 90% of the people – that I have come in contact with for them, the hard part is building mm. and they'd rather captain, you know, like, well, I'd like to meet all of that I other group. Know, I know. It's, <laughs> Run with these things that I have, please. <laughs> but I mean, well, so in, in my world, um, church is mm-hmm. most often the ship is built. This ship was built when I got here. Mm-hmm. A lot of my job, people think I'm a, uh, have an entrepreneur spirit and I love change. And mm-hmm. I, and I do to an extent, but I didn't build this place. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a church planter. Mm-hmm. There are much fewer church planters than there are pastors who captain the ship. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I mean, that's that's pretty true. I mean, how many business? How many people are there who are entrepreneurs who start businesses versus how many people eventually work up, become a CEO? Or high level management of business. I mean, that's mm-hmm. it is. It's got to be ninety to ten, ninety percent, ten percent. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you've started a ton of pretty successful stuff. things. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, I just you know a lot. Of, like I said, the, my my challenge with things is that I I have these ideas and I and I enjoy seeing them take life. And then um, if I feel like I've figured out, like my seasoning, for example, my seasoning business that I've had. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) It's a fantastic thing. And um, I know the economics of it. I figured out how to get, you know, the best price that I could get to buy 500 cases of a seasoning, da, da, da. Uh, 
ultimatesteakseasoning.com, but you really can't buy it anymore because it's all, I'm just making it for fr- fan, uh, family and friends and such. Yeah. Because it that just is a shame too. Because it's phenomenal. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's fantastic. But you, when you know the economics of it and you know the formula, and the formula would be it's really difficult to get into distribution um, at the right price. You can't right. make a lot of money unless you buy, unless you're buying thousands and thousands of bottles. So you kind of figure out the economics, which I did. So then you say, well, if I call like little small shops all around the nation, and if I send a sample out, like one in seven becomes a customer, and they'll probably buy a case a month. And so once I figured out that formula, like this could turn into a great little side business. Oh yeah. That that and it was for a while, but I mean one that makes consistent revenue with me doing very little. Once I figured out that formula, I just got too busy to deal with it and said. Mm, no, because it would take somebody else. I, I'm not going to sit there and do it. I don't right. want to do that. Like right. I figured it all out, or at least the majority of yeah. it. You know, I figured out how to get into places. I figured out yeah. here's how you open the door. You hand them a bottle and say, "Enjoy." Yeah, and they go, "Oh my gosh, it's the greatest thing I've ever had." Da, 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 how do you, uh. Yeah, and, and so they're hooked. So give a sample, and one in seven little shops will become a customer. Yeah, and I know the cost of the sample. I, I knew it. I knew it all, I thought, and I just couldn't follow. Yeah. Oh, that honestly, I got to tell you, it's a shame because that stuff is so good. <laughs> Remind me and I will, I will give you a, I should have thought about it to bring you a bottle, but we make it now for, you know, just family yeah. and friends and, and we just divvy it out that way. So but I owe you one. It is, it is the, a great, I appreciate that. Thank you. And I will mm-hmm. never turn it down. <laughs> <laughs> it is, I hide it. Um, the, 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 um, Samples that I've had, I've hidden in the back uh-huh. and don't let my kids have it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've, I've heard how, how it makes your, how it makes the kids uh, turn on the various things that perhaps weren't, you know, like vegetables. It's amazing. It's good on everything. It, and it was so initially it's steak seasoning, right? Yeah. And your dad. I would. That. I That's wish. Okay. So my well, my dad was my dad was a butcher for life, pretty much, and so I was around in and around that. But I went to work at a meat shop when I was. Um, Oh gosh, I was probably 15 in in our little town in California where I was from, and I went to work at a butcher shop, and they made a seasoning there. <clears throat> and people, every time they bought, they paid more for the meat that we had, which is the same stuff that you could get right down the street. They because you know, is a little meat shop. They they figured this is very different. They had this service experience. It was very yeah. different, right? And they always bought. They always bought this little bottle of seasoning, and I would make it in the back. Four ingredients. Um, I'll tell you what they are because it's easy enough to figure out. The label says it. It's salt, pepper, onion powder, and garlic powder. The, the proportions are, are the secret, the but secrets. whatever. Yep. Um, I would make it by a five-gallon bucket. Well, then I spent most of my adult life just sort of making little batches after I, you know, long since done working there and, and living normal life. Um, I would make little batches. And one day, finally, I said, you know, enough people like this. I sat down and I and – I, I made 20 different batches and formulized it and said, that's it. That's the, that's the recipe. Yeah. And then I started, I put up a website, of course, you know, <laughs> you know, I started something else. Cause you're Doug. <laughs> and the next thing, you know, a couple of weeks later I get an order and I'm like, Oh great. Now what? <laughs> now what? So I can't tell you the first two people got from me, um, massive Mason jars full of the stuff with a handwritten label on it and, and a, an apology letter. And the, and the letter was, I'm sure this probably doesn't meet some kind of health standards. 
but I'm giving you about <laughs> 10 times more than what you asked for. So please don't. And it's tell costing anybody. me more to ship this thing than to even just to, you know, and I, and I immediately like pulled down the site at that point. And when I started getting orders, because I didn't know what to do. That set in motion learning about labeling and barcodes and ultimately I got organic certified and I could have been kosher and, and, and you know, certified non-GMO. I could have done all that stuff and I just kind of kept it. And, you know, the picture on the front is the, the cow. And yeah. that was always uh, either made people really, really laugh or, or not because – you know, if you're going to eat me, that was the quote. It's like, if you're going to eat me, you might as well make it taste good. Right. So <laughs> people are like freaked out about that. And I, I got attacked by animal rights people on Facebook numerous times and being just sicko talking about eating meat. And yeah, how why, dare would the, you? why would the cow sprinkle it on himself or herself <laughs> or whatever? It's like, okay. Just, this is not for you. It's <laughs> really good. Just ignore me. Yeah. If, if you don't eat meat, then this isn't That's for right. you. I, and I would tell them, I say, there is an organic version and it's really good on vegetables. You should give it a try. That did not sit well. It <laughs> did not sit well with the PETA crowd. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. The screaming vegetables that they cut. <laughs> it just yeah. didn't work. Man, I, um, I love that. But what would you have to do? So, I, I mean – is there some kind of law about for seasoning it, you have to pass a health inspection or a – Yeah, I mean you, you can find ways to get um, – to use commercial kitchens and to do – because we were making it in the house for the longest time and we were sort of you know working under the basic rules that if you're doing low volume and you can do things – you know, in the home and what have you. And we really weren't selling it in any place that would be not like a high V where we needed a, you know, insurance and everything. And right. then finally I just said, you know what, we're, this is getting big enough where we can't do this in the house anymore. So I found a commercial place that would actually take the recipe. They would bottle it, label it, they shrink wrap it, they date code it. They do all the things that are required, okay. really, you know, so there were no questions about uh, health and whatever. There was okay. no question at all. It was a done deal. I had, in, you know, liability insurance, commercial liability insurance for all that in case somebody says, I got sick from this. Which, right. yeah. How do you get sick from Not sure, but pepper. you never know, right? <laughs> right? Somebody's going to say somewhere that they did. Um, I put this on garbage and then I got sick. I know. <laughs> garbage was really good so yeah i just figured once i figured all that out it was a it was kind of a machine and it was uh it was economics at that point yeah you know how many cases do you want sitting in your uh dining room for how long (laughs) and how much money are you going to sit on in inventory because you know unless you're cranking through that you're sitting on cash yeah. And you don't want to do that if anybody's, you know, hey, don't sit on inventory, people. Move yeah. your inventory. But I had to order large enough quantities to get the price down so where if right. I could get into distribution, it would work. Yeah. Was it was it the – because it sounds like at that point you have to shift to become almost a salesperson. You do. Is that the thing that – Yeah, you have resonate? to work really hard. <laughs> you have to work really hard and hoof it and get yeah. out there. And I, I had no problem like using connections that, oh, I you know hang out at the high V enough. I could, hey, store director. And they're like, sure, I'll carry it, just whatever. And I just haven't – you know, this is more recent. Right. Um, I just don't have the supply to give them. But yeah, yeah once you get into a few places and it's selling well, um, you can keep that momentum going. I didn't mind that part because I'd just give – you know, I'd, again, just give you a bottle and you're hooked. Yeah. 
and, and they'll say yes, generally speaking. And so um, then you just have to keep up those relationships. And right. then they say, oh, it's all about sampling. Well, what am I going to sample? I don't, can't give you a little little cup full of seasoning and say down it, although my kids do. <laughs> <laughs> they'll sprinkle it on their hand and go, ooh. George is a fiend for this stuff. Um, but anyway, you, you have to cook something. And right. you want to cook steak or whatever. Well, that's expensive. It's not like yeah. – it's not like giving out a little square of a piece of bacon and going, here, isn't this delicious? <laughs> or pizza, little micro pizza slice, yeah. you know? So I didn't have a good way to sample it. So all of that conspired to say this is going to be a lot of hard work and a lot yeah. of uh, economics working against me that I just – and life. I mean life right now with you know a 15-and-a-half and a 13-year-old and, uh, and the sports and the this and the that. Yeah. My goodness. My you goodness. still coaching soccer? No way. No way. <laughs> it got I, past you? Oh, gosh. Years ago. Years ago. Gavin switched from rec to club where the coaches are a thousand times better than we could ever be. Yeah. So, no. No coaching for me. That's cool. Yeah, that's um, that's where I, I envy people who can sell. I, I'm not a salesperson. I, I know a guy, one of my elders, um, that's his whole career. And he makes bank doing it. And he's a great guy. Um, but he, you can just tell he doesn't try to sell. Mm -hmm. He's just a salesperson. Sure. He's just always selling. And it's just a part of his, and I go, I would have to work like the, my, the worst job I could ever have would be selling insurance or cars. Mm. Cause all I'd ever do is look at people and be like, man, you don't really want this. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be honest with you. I don't like my life right now. (laughs) Either buy it or don't. I would would only ever want to sell something to somebody who really wanted something and I knew I had the right product for them and I'd still feel kind of bad making money Hmm. off of it. Sounds like like you'd make a good pastor then. (laughs) What are you selling? Only you, you have actually this, do need this. You have this great IDC. <laughs> I have this great concept. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I find myself um, in weird situations. As a, this is a great story. This just happened literally yesterday. I, I had an hour between. Um, I visited the last person for the day. Got to get home for dinner, and so I thought oh, I'm going I'm to read a book. Um, I love reading. So I, I swing by the bar I almost always go to, Mickey's, right down mm-hmm. in Waukee. Sure. Love that bar. I'm sitting there, and there's a, a guy who comes in real regularly, knows the owner, knows the wait staff. A um, couple weeks back, you know, we we're kind of laughing back and forth about some stuff because I'm in there pretty often. And um, he thought it would be funny to buy a pastor a shot. So, which okay. I yeah, am is. fine with. That. Yeah, exactly. It's like you don't know me, do you? It's fine. So we, um, <laughs> yes. So then yesterday, um, he goes. You know, I want to ask you a couple of questions. He's he's a Catholic, and he he kind of wants to have a conversation about maybe changing churches. Wants to ask about yeah. our church. Yeah. Turns into an hour and a half conversation um, that went from. Uh, differences between Catholic and Lutheran, um, religion, Jesus, salvation, all of this stuff. And, you know, we had a couple of beers and then it turns into, I I mentioned something about hunting. Mm. And so it turns out he's like a a total gun nut, Mm -hmm. loves guns. And he's Mm -hmm. like, oh, so we're having this conversation now, which I'm fine with. I'm I'm a pretty Second Amendment kind of guy. We end up in the parking lot. 
at his truck because he really wants to show me this gun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm cool. Like, it's right. like, I'm still. We've only had a few beers. <laughs> right. Let's get some guns yeah. into the mix. No, we're, we're at three beers. <laughs> and, and this is our entire relationship is a shot he bought me yeah. several weeks ago yeah. and three beers. And he goes, hey, t- take it home and shoot it. And I'm like, dude, you don't know me. Yeah, <laughs> he goes, yeah. no, he's, it's fine. Just take it home. It, you're going to love this thing. Just shoot it. Just give it back the next time you see me. And I'm like, man, I can't take, I can't take a gun from you. This is you're right. And he goes, no, I, seriously, just, just go. I went home like with, <laughs> with this weapon. guy's gun. Yeah. We don't know each other's last names. That's perfect. <laughs> I don't That's know his perfect. phone number. I have his firearm. I was like, this is bonkers. But that's the kind of stuff that um, I just have always loved about my job because it is it is um, it's sort of like a salesman job. But it's, you know, I'm I'm selling the one product everybody uses Mm -hmm. (laughs) or or don't, but everybody needs. And I don't feel the pressure to to sell. It's just more like, you know, I'm hanging out drinking a beer and this guy. Mm-hmm. Wants to have a conversation about important, significant things, and it's just simple. It's just easy. Yeah. So. Well, that's you, you are you you're you're more of this. Sales is is a tough word to use for that. I, suppose, I know. I don't care though. You're more of that than you would think because you know how to ask questions. See, that's the thing. Selling isn't like foisting something upon someone. It's asking insightful questions to uncover these these yeah. needs and. You could probably ask anybody a bunch of questions and find out, hey, guess what? You're broken. And they just realized it. And right. and you don't and there's no shortage of brokenness in the world at the moment. Oh, everybody has it. Everybody goes through it. That's that's the, the one common denominator. And I, and I bump into this all the time. I, I wish I, I was just joking with somebody yesterday, too, who had some really deep, serious questions about life and relationships. Um, they're, they're on in years. They're. Oh, she's got to be 70, 71. Um, and she goes, I just love that you can't tell anybody what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I laughed and I go, you know what? Someday I'm going to write a book, but I'm going to make sure everybody in it's dead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then there's so many great stories about people who've come to me just absolutely torn up. And mm-hmm. I, I am so grateful for that. Um, I just, it's humbling when people trust me with a story or trust me with insights about themselves. And I go, sure. Jeez. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. How did I, how did they trust me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. This is amazing. Yeah. It's terrifying. I'd never told me that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, that's cool. So, um, any any future ideas on podcast stuff? You got to do something, man. You you're too um, interesting to not be talking in a microphone. <laughs> you know the thing that the thing that really is interesting at the moment for me is, um, <laughs> along with Crockpot Christianity, Mike and I, um, Mike Wagner and I, started something similar. I guess similar, not really, but called Agile Discipleship. And basically it's another, another website, but it was basically taking agile slash lean slash business concepts and putting it in and putting it in the context of discipleship. So, yeah. And so, um, if you really start to like Mike does work with businesses all over and churches, by the way, he works with churches all over the country. The, the challenges are exactly the same, right? 
we don't know how to lead people. We don't know how to manage people. We don't know how to create the next level of leadership. These things are the same. They are universal. And when you start applying these things in a, in a business context, but for discipleship, it starts to make sense for some people much more uh, readily. So anyway, oh, just, I want to hear more about this. What yeah. Is this? And, and so, well, <laughs> this we is in my wheelhouse. We have If you go to the website, agilediscipleship.com, you'll see a video. And the video is Mike, and, and I think the headline is like, is your church on life support? <laughs> and, and I mean, how many, you know, what's the rate? The rate of closure of, of churches, small churches, is just off the charts. And so you have this weird situation where these mega churches are exploding and, and building uh, multiple facilities. And like you know, Tim, Tim Keller and this yeah. God in the City uh, just blows me away and of course our own local ones that are just exploding and then but but they have the other side where they're just closing their doors right um they don't know how to keep that they don't know how to make disciples they've lost their mission that's my that's my outsider opinion because i don't spend time at church could not agree more no you're right the irony of all this is like let me we've always (laughs) talked about this let me tell you why i don't go to church thank you pastor um I should, but anyway, that's a whole other topic. Um, but but if you start to apply these principles and you start to groom these, you know, disciple makers, I think that that's a very good good thing to do. And churches have lost their way, and so many many churches have lost their way. Um, and that, this was our attempt to really address that. Um, There's a huge market for that. There is, and and Mike gets calls. Mike gets calls weekly from churches saying. Oh, please come. I'll I'll translate. Please rescue us. Wow. We can't. We can't get out. You know, it's like, but we we have this great building and whatever. You're dying because of this building, or you know, it's going to cost you whatever. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's it's it blows your mind. And at the end of the day, they've lost their way. They yeah. lost their way. It's not about the right things anymore. And yeah. so, how do you get that back? I certainly am no expert, but um, in that, but I, I, I think I can lend some insight to it, and Mike certainly does as well. And you would be uh, a great addition to that to bring some insights. So anyway, that's just one of the one, the other ones that I I would love to bring back and get going. Oh, please do uh, seriously, and if. Um I mean, I've got a pretty good network of uh, other pastors and churches I know already from what little you've just told me <laughs> that would benefit from this because yeah. it is um, – churches have historically been a little bit skittish when it comes to talking in terms of business. Oh, sure. And I don't get it. It drives me crazy. Like, yes, we're not a, a mm-hmm. for-profit company, but what businesses struggle with and what churches struggle with are the same thing. Because what is the the primary influencer in that is people. Mm-hmm. And the, I mean, everybody knows a great company with lousy people is not a great company. Mm-hmm. You can have a killer product and have the, all the wrong people make the wrong decisions, have the wrong leadership, be a toxic culture, yeah, and it dies. Um, so you, you've you've got a, you, you've got this common denominator of people, and I've always thought the reason why business principles, and that's that's what I read. I read a lot of business mm-hmm. principle books. Mm-hmm. Um, the the common denominator inside of that slice of the issue of people is sin. And it's everybody brings that baggage in. Everybody brings in insecurity. Everybody brings in um, any business you go to of any size. You're going to find a couple of people who are 
arrogant, a couple of people who um, are insecure, so they're mean, they're bullies. I mean, whatever it is, man, you go to a church mm-hmm. and you're going to find some arrogant people. Mm-hmm. You're going to find some bullies. <laughs> you're going to find the same freaking people. Of course. <laughs> yeah, why would it be any different? Yeah. And so, but then there's pastors and churches who go, well, but that's that's business methodology to deal with that. We have to do church methodology. We're, we're, we have God on our side. We're holy. And then you just go under. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, so the, the cool thing is, I mean, it is a cool factor for sure and a bonus. You know, you don't have to spend time coming up with some kind of crazy mission statement or whatever. You've got it. Um, you've got this book <laughs> or books. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like you don't you don't have to uh, really think through a lot of that. But but it comes back to you know it, it's hard to create disciples, and I certainly am not good at it. I would like to be better. Um, but when you when you have that mindset and that's the foundation, it seems like that's what. That's what you should be doing. Oh, I think you're good at making disciples. You just you've done it in the business world how many times? I mean, you've you've always been somebody who who pulls together and runs great teams. Yeah, I, I'd like to do it for the church. I, I think, but I just don't know where where would I find one to do that? For? <laughs> Gosh, where am I again? Oh yeah, no. yeah. Well, what was your commute? We're, to get we're here? getting there. Oh, thirty seconds or less, but uh, you know. But seriously, I mean, that's so you've put together um, several teams of, uh, you know, similar in size and and scope to what Jesus does. Right. He pulls together a team, calls them disciples, whatever you want to call them. I don't care. But, you know, he instills in them the same things towards the end of go to all nations, baptize teaching. And if you're a CEO of a company and you're putting together a team to go and software something or other, a lot of those dynamics are the same dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and yet they seem so far away to so many people. They seem so opposite, you know, right. it's just not. And yeah. So there's a need. There's a, there's oh. a big need. It's, you know, the usual, the, it's the usual things. Like I, I wouldn't want to create a situation where, you know, so Mike goes and flies and deals with groups and does all that. I mean, that's, that's great. You're still now here's the business person in me saying, I don't want to, uh, however good my intentions, there's only so much of me. Right. right? And I, I don't want to trade my time for money that way. Uh, I want to do it to be fulfilling for me and what have you. But at some point I can't keep that up. So then you're talking about online learning. You're talking about courses. You're talking about materials. You're talking about things that can easily be digested by the masses of churches who need it. And then if they really need the extra push of a, of a person to come in and facilitate and can, and have the means to do it at some level, then maybe that works too as a compliment. Right. But, But I'm all about business models uh, even even though it has to do with church, I'm sorry. I mean, yeah, business models. There, the the church profitability is is there. You yeah. know, so oh yeah, you could you could do really well with a recurring uh, online content model. Yeah, and that's the intent uh, of agile discipleship. Big picture. Uh, I dig it. So you, Michael Wagner, get to work. Yeah, yeah I'll tell. <laughs> Mike, if you're listening, he, trust me, we talk all the time. We we used to all the time walk, but now, I mean, like my stage of life has shifted so dramatically with yeah. the kids and the busy level that oh, we just have. Yeah. 
I admire your ability to work out as frequently as you do. I haven't been able to pull the triggers with regularity for some time now. It's just yeah. all over the board, but uh, <laughs> we need to do it. We need to do it. It's it's a need. It's not just a business need. It's a need for humanity. I mean, the brokenness is huge. There's never been a time where I think people are more empty and yet allegedly have been more connected. And so, boy, you just hit that one. Yeah, we are. We have built the false sense of connectivity mm-hmm. um, to a, a deep extent, and it's probably more corrosive and um, detrimental than it would be to just be alone, right? Because there's this lie that I've I've got two thousand friends on Facebook. Mm-hmm. You've got zero friends, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's the problem. Right. I, I often I often think about this because, you know, I, I'm sure like you I mean growing up in Southern California, there were plenty to do and I had plenty of friends. But when we were bored, you get together and you find something to do. And sometimes that meant shooting baskets for six hours yeah. or riding skateboards or just doing stupid stuff or getting into trouble, you know, because you had nothing else to do. Um, but you had time and you had these meaningful relationships that you were either either you wanted to or you were forced into and you talked and you had things that, you know, life somehow came into play. I mean, dudes don't get deep about stuff like that probably most of their lives. Right. But, but you had friends that you were connected with on so many different levels. And what I find with, with especially with Gavin, is that, you know, it's so much easier to connect that way. And they do connect that way, but they do it via the Xbox. They do yes. it via online. Yeah. And they would not they would not get together and share and be communal that way. If given the choice, most 99% they'll get together and do that gaming in person every once in a while, Yeah, but they don't need it. They don't have close friends that way. They don't have a core group. Girls must Georgia does. Right. I think we're rewiring brains to, mm -hmm. to experience relationship differently. And I've, I've got some reservations about it. But this happened when – so it used to be that nobody ever read um, to themselves. There was a time in history when um, oh, sure. writing was so rare that and, – and so many – so few people actually were able to read. So many people were illiterate that there was a book and then the person would read to everybody. I mean this is the story of the scriptures and everybody would listen. Mm. And why would you ever read and the words not come out of your mouth? I mean, it just was rarely ever right. done. Advent of the printing press and available materials, people, more people read. And all of a sudden people start to read in their own head yeah. and culture shifts. Yeah. And we have Renaissance, Reformation and all this uh, academics and learning just, just explodes and the, from there we get buildings and highways and jet planes and so and social media. What's the next thing? Mm-hmm. We're rewiring our brains to have sure. relationships and and to connect with humans in a different way. So what is that advent going to look like? And is it AI? Is it virtual? Is it what is it? Yeah, you don't have to have any of the ugliness of human relationships anymore. If you don't want to, you can get all of the benefit. You never have to be bored. Right. You can always engage. You know, my kids say a lot of times just anything that isn't to their liking, but that's not fun. Right. Yeah. There's, there's some stuff in life that isn't actually fun. 
You know, George is deciding to take Spanish or German or whatever. And she's like, I just want, I only want to take a language if it's fun. I said, how do you determine if a foreign language class is fun? Well, Spanish wasn't fun. Okay. (laughs) It's all a fun factor. Yeah. You know, and and I I don't, it's hard, harder for me to relate to that. And then you look and you say, why are people, you know, so empty generationally, they have these challenges with the closeness and the, and that, you know, that tight relationship with other human beings. They connect differently. They connect with keypads and screens and what have you. And so are we going to reach a point and it, we're not even close to where it's going to go, yeah. right? I mean, why would you interact with humans ever when you can have a perfect situation with a robot or an AI or otherwise? You don't have to deal with any of the mess. Right. Humans are messy. They're stupid messy. And um, what I fear is the the lack of the appreciation of the beautiful because um, usually beautiful things come out of messiness. I mean, it, most artists are tortured. Mm. And it was a messy, ugly existence. And out of that pain, I mean, you you get – I mean, this is the reason why most phenomenal musicians in our country have been heroin addicts. Right, right. <laughs> it's, it's, You're a wreck. Out of, out of the awesome. wreck comes awesome. Yeah. So are we going to lose awesome? Are we going to lose that that creativeness if people – and I, so I've, I've kind of made it my mission um, – and my, drives my kids crazy to disappoint them. That's been a thing. Um, I like that. <laughs> a couple of years, well, not, not quite a year ago, it was just this last uh, New Year's Eve. My son Isaac is a great kid and just in general doesn't, um, he's just a good kid, doesn't, doesn't throw a fit. He's just a content kid, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, so we always process deer on the first of the year. So mm-hmm. July 1st, everybody's got off of work. We all get together. We just cut, cut and process package deer all day long. And he's part of that process. You know, mm-hmm. he's got a couple of jobs that he performs. So his buddy asked if he could stay overnight the night before. Now there's no real reason. I mean, I said you have to be here to help process, right. but that doesn't really start. His part of the job doesn't start until noon. Right. Easily can be home. Right. I was talking and I, to my wife and I said, Joni, we just, he needs some disappointment. So I told him, I mean, you can't go. And he was bummed and he's upset. And I'd pushed it to the point where he was really upset. My wife was like, listen, <laughs> <laughs> I get it. You're trying to make a point. Yeah. But this is actually stupid. There's no reason. So he ended up going and coming back and helping and it was, it was fine. But that's the kind of thing. It's like it's it's not about going to his buddy's house because I I love that kid. I love that kid's family. Yeah. Um, I knew nothing. There were gonna be no shenanigans other than the the fun shenanigans, cheeky shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Um, it was gonna be good. And I just man, he just needs to be bummed out. Yeah. <laughs> I need I need you to be more upset. <laughs> I I regularly like I said I my wife does not like it when I say this, but I mean I was like uh, anything I can do to make you cry. You know, I just like, I am the mean one, you know, I try to, yeah, I I try to try to check it back to reality. And it's very, it's very difficult to break the flow. You know, the, they're busy kids. It's hard to remember back when, you know, you had sports, you had lots of, you know, homework and what have you, and you just want to unplug and do what you want. Okay. What is that want? That want is only video game at this point. So unless you keep the kid doing something else, they will default to 
sure. to the the virtual world every time. Yeah, and I have a challenge with that. Right, uh, I'm not you know a fuddy duddy. I've used these tools far more than they have ever used. Right, mm-hmm. so I get it, uh, but I also have the perspective that. Um, you're missing something. Yeah. You're, you're missing something big and you're not going to realize it as a, as a 15 year old or a 13 year old, you're not going to realize this until you're 25 and you know, you're not going to be living at home. You're going to be out there and having to interact with people and life isn't going to be fun. Uh, everything you do isn't going to be fun. Doesn't mean you can't, I'm, I'm make it fun. Make right. your job fun. If you, if all you can do is have fun all day long, go for it, bro. <laughs> Figure it out. (laughs) Well, figure it out. Yeah, I I just think that if they don't learn how to deal with disappointment, if they don't learn how to deal with um, somebody who makes them do something for no good reason, if they don't, they're they're not going to be ready for the world where that happens Mm -hmm. all the time. (laughs) And so you have that problem now in the workforce. Yeah. Why yeah. am I not getting a promotion after six months? Yeah. And this is all well, well, very well documented. And if you've not watched the Simon Sinek uh, video where he talks about millennials and kind of like the challenges, and he really defines it, re- he defines it really well. Yeah. Um, but that's the challenge that you have is that there's never been any kind of negative feedback. There's never been sitting on the bench or getting cut from the team. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets the participation trophy at some level. And so you get into the workforce and you're like, Where's that constant love that I want? And so companies are adapting by <laughs> oh, giving it. No, that's terrible. They're they're giving it, and you know that's uh, <laughs> again right. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but that, that's the way that they're giving it, and they're giving it and adapting so that they can keep those folks and keep them engaged. That's garbage. Yeah. I, um. So my my son, smart kid. He's he's kind of in the advanced math. And um, they're doing this thing that I had never done in geometry called tessellations. Yikes. It's got something to do with um, you have to draw pictures for your math class. And he's like, this is – so his grade drops and he's pissed and he's like, this is stupid. This is an art class. This is math. Why am I drawing things? (laughs) And so um, his big thing was he just didn't want to do it. He doesn't like to draw. He doesn't like to do art. Right. And – He's just pitching a fit and he said the wrong thing. (laughs) He said, I should have another option. Mm. And I was like, bullshit. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, No, no, this is not how this works. This is not how life works. You don't get to go to your job and be like, well, here's what we need you to do today, Isaac. Like, well, do I have another option? No, this is actually your job. This is stupid. I don't want to do it. (laughs) Right. Okay, work somewhere else. (laughs) I was so mad at him. So I told him the story of uh, when I was in high school, I had a job at Ponderosa. Oh, God. Um, The steakhouse thingy? The steakhouse buffet. And my first job was washing dishes, Mm. Um, just like everybody's first job should be. And Mm -hmm. uh, if you closed at the end of the night, you had to – to clean and scrub this this wash area in a ridiculous way. I mean, mm-hmm. it was it was absolutely moronic how detailed you had to be to the point of getting underneath the dishwasher. And, and my manager at the end would would walk mm-hmm. through and mm-hmm. he goes, "You didn't you didn't clean under the dishwasher." And I was like, "Why would I clean under a dishwasher? Dishes don't go under there." Right. Right. <laughs> and nobody's right. eating off the floor back here. This is like where all the dishes go. This stuff is all sanitized and perfectly clean. This is good. And he goes, um, I'll never forget this. Um, he looked at me and he was like, do 
your effing job. <laughs> so I told this to Isaac and it was fun because I, I actually dropped the F-bomb. I said, and I go, do you know what I did? And he goes, I did it. Your yeah, effing hope, job. Yeah, 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 <laughs> said, yeah. That's right. Uh, and I go, do you know why I did it? And he goes, to get an effing paycheck. And yeah. I go, yes, that is the point. Boom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, there will be times. I don't know why. I, that's not my job to know why. My job is to do my job. Yeah. And there's just not – if you want to be in the position of deciding what jobs get done – yeah. Then you got to be you got to be Doug. <laughs> you got <laughs> to create your own job, create yeah. your own business, and that's that's who you got to be. But if if you want if you just want to show up to work, get a paycheck, then you man you got to do your job. You don't get to ask for options from your boss. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's a tough lesson for these for kids to learn because we we're I mean I I am part of the problem. We're way too easy on them in so many different ways. Oh, it's I mean, it's hard, just, it's difficult to, yeah, to navigate being a parent and just imagine being the kid these days. So, oh, I would never want to grow up in the world today. It's very difficult. Oh. Very difficult. Yeah, nobody wants to be the bad guy. And the, the impulse for parents is good. The impulse is always to be benevolent and kind yeah. and um, to see your kids happy and succeed. And it, you have to forcefully rewire your brain to say, I want my kid to be happy now but i really want him to be happy when he's 30 so now he has to be not happy in some ways right so he's more happy then and confront and deal with it, you know and so i what i think here just to, to closing out that topic for me is that they hear and absorb a lot more than than we give them credit for mm-hmm. so keep doing it in spite of the eye roll and the epic eye roll and the head back and the, Oh God, you know, that in spite of all that, keep doing it because I I find the kids will parrot back something that I've said a hundred times in my, you know, and they'll just be like, Oh yeah, well, blah, blah, blah. Like, Oh my gosh. Do your heart flutters? Yes. It worked. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. You almost don't want to move or breathe. You don't want to ruin it. Yeah. <laughs> absorb. Absorb. Absorb I did the some, moment. I did a good. I did a good. All right. Let's, let's wrap this thing. Hey, did you watch the fights last weekend, by the way? No. No. Did I've, not. I have become a non just I can't you know <laughs> you like like things. what happened with poker remember what happened <laughs> yeah. with world series of poker yeah. it became its own channel and there was a show on every day <clears throat> and I lost interest in it yep there's too many fights too many fighters not enough marquee stuff going on that I just have lost yeah no I I don't disagree you you have to pay more attention now to get a hold of the right story the right fighter yep and uh there's the the heavyweight class is kind of bankrupt right now. I mean, we don't. We've got Stipe Miocic, who is phenomenal, but right. Who else do we have? I'm not sure. <laughs> is Brock Lesnar coming back? I don't know. I hope so. I, I watch him fight anytime. <laughs> well, the big and the big story that everybody's waiting for is uh, Mayweather to go UFC. Yeah, and like, are you kidding me? I, I mean, maybe, but I mean, these guys. Are you kidding me? I've heard a. I've heard a couple of rumbles. Where um, uh, first the if if he fights Connor, 
that would be a murder scene. Like we right. have to call the police. Right. <laughs> so, Again. Yeah. Um, I mean, if it's mixed martial arts and he's fighting Conor McGregor, um, that they have to do some things. I've, I've heard everything from, um, maybe no, no low kicks, um, mm-hmm. or maybe no, um, you can't go to the ground so you, you can kick, but you can't take to the kick ground. Kickboxing rules. Kind of kickboxing, yeah, um, cool. punching out of the clinch, um, that kind of stuff. But again, I mean, Mayweather would get murdered. Yeah. Murdered. So that's not going to happen. But what if he fights a chump? Um, and they, I always forget the guy's name, the guy who came over from WWE. Yes, I was thinking of him. Um, I can never yep. remember his yep. name. Yep, that guy. That guy. I know who you're saying. But he's about like a 170, 160. I mean, maybe you can get down to 160. Yeah. Um, because he's, punk, he's only. Punk something. That guy. Oh, uh, C-Punk. C, yeah. No. Um, CM CM Punk yeah is that right is that who you're thinking yeah of? that's that is who I'm thinking about that's who I was thinking of. he he's you know he's got one mixed martial arts fight under his belt and he got his ass handed to him mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you know he's probably in a in a similar uh, as far as mixed martial arts go but Mayweather can box his brains out but if that guy takes him down right I, I, that might be willing to watch but I don't know it's just you know yeah it's too much I you know the the best fighting that i see right now is when i occasionally accidentally find glory the glory fight yes championship. i like glory oh my gosh <laughs> the kickboxing at that level and the muay thai at that level oh my gosh that is way more entertaining to me now than even mixed martial arts because i can't i can keep up with glory because it's once in a while yeah well i'm actually um finding myself more interested in and this is fun it's because of my daughters is the women in the ufc mm-hmm so my girls are um, signing up this summer to get into um, jujitsu. Cool. They're going to go uh, no coast BJJ. Yeah. It is so much fun because these women, their technique. Yeah. Is it because you don't have this overpowering like giant Brock Lesnar? You know, right. me smash. Rah. Right. You get like precise, and and the stories are great. Yeah. Um, I found out actually my daughter's. Um, school whatever you go and parent teacher conferences that she's she did a project on rose namayunas oh nice <laughs> i looked at the teacher and I was, dude i'm sorry <laughs> I, so like he's looking at me like yeah so we're, you know at the school where we're really against bullying your daughter's doing a whole project on fighting mm. and, awesome. and the nickname of the fighter is thug isn't it thug rose yeah yeah <laughs> so, dude i'm it's good I'm time. sorry i'm so sorry <laughs> Oh, yeah. Cool, man. Two hours-ish. Oh, my gosh. Easy to do, isn't it? It's very easy. Feels like minutes. It does. All right, let's do this again sometime, man. Anytime. All right, take care. We'll see you you later. Have a great day. There you have it. Doug Mitchell. That is what I would call the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Doug Mitchell. That man, my goodness, um, he has just got a lot of content between his ears, knowledge and expertise. Um, We're going to have him on again. That was a lot of fun. Um, Next week we're having Duncan, and Duncan and I are going to talk sex because I have a lot, I mean a lot, of conversations with people about sexuality. And, man, I think there's a lot that people want to know, want to hear, want to explore. 
on the topic from the perspective of a guy, um, Duncan and I both in the profession where we work with marriage all the time and we work with couples all the time and uh, we're gonna we're gonna explore we're gonna figure some things out so tune in for that if you want to get a hold of me and um, ask me a question or give me somebody to talk to or uh, some topics to cover I would love it um, my the way to get a hold of me on um, anything from Twitter to Instagram Twitter is at Luke underscore Tim Instagram is Luke underscore Tim or email me all the things with Luke Tim at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Hoping to get up a uh, Facebook page pretty soon, a fan page for the show, and maybe its own website. We'll see how far this goes. Like I said before, like it, share it, and if it gets enough energy behind it, I'll throw some more energy on my end as well to try and make this thing as good as it can be. Thanks, and uh, hopefully we'll hear from you guys, and um, we'll see you next week. Be good. I'm Brooklyn.